coast his head's in the mountains she's a liberal he's a conservative she likes baseball and he's into golf what could they possibly agree on well probably a lot more than you think look out jody and Beatty are on the air hi i'm bruce dovigan broadcaster blogger podcast guy and author of the new title cap in hand how salary caps are killing pro sports and how the free market could save them Hi, I'm Jody Vance. I'm a broadcast veteran in both sports and news and current affairs, and I'm always full of opinions and going in search of maybe finding some common ground, that middle, maybe even the truth. In each episode here, we're going to talk through the top stories from politics, arts, and sports. In the first serve, uh, uh, well, I think I might uh, have Bruce get all up in my grill over Trudeau, uh, why he's done everything wrong, but his polling looks great. On return of serve, Jody will take the wind out of my sails on Gian Gomeshi's return to the media. Then we'll go to the tiebreaker and finish up with the kiss and cry zone. So, without further ado, let's get to it with the first serve. The first serve. Jody, it would be charitable to describe Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, uh, act lately as being on a hot streak, whether it was the wreck of the Trans Mountain Pipeline or the NAFTA collapse. He's, he's kind of looked out of his depth and had a lot of problems, and yet... I'm looking at his polling, and he's doing really well. He's at 39.3%, the Liberals are nationally, and the Tories are at 32.8, and the NDP are down at 164 how, how could this happen? He seemed to do everything wrong, and yet he seems to be polling so strong. Well, there seems to be kind of that calm sense of stability when you compare him with what's happening south of the border. Uh, politics these days seems so fiery and hot and heated and full of what are they, alternate facts? I guess Canadians, for the most part, or that 32, what did you say, 32.6%? 32.8%. 32 32.8% of Canadians are okay with what Trudeau is doing currently. However, you said off the top of our podcast here that I'm a liberal. I've never really stated my political leanings. I would consider myself to be sort of a um, uh, multicolored, if you will, when it comes to my politics and policies, because looking at some of the things that Trudeau is doing and has done, I certainly disagree with. So I am a little bit surprised by those numbers. I have to say that on this one, I think we are finding the common ground. I'm a bit surprised by those poll numbers. Well, I had you as a small L liberal, certainly not there a you go. Car I would never accuse anyone I like of being a, a large L liberal. I would never do that to you, I promise you. But yeah, it, it, it's really, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, what's happened is, is he seems to be, he's like the guy at the craps table and there's somebody who's rolling all the right dice and he's just putting his money on the table and making money. That's what's happening to Trudeau at the moment. You look over on the conservative side, and you, you've got the party coming apart again. Uh, I mean, we remember what happened for the years where we had the reform and the conservatives. They split the vote. Jean Chrétien went up the middle and he had majority governments. All of a sudden, of course, Max Bernier has thrust his nose in there and has said, you know what, I'm starting a new party. And people are in, on the conservative side, they're out of their minds about this because they realize that they're headed towards the same schism uh, if they have everybody going for the conservative vote. And, and I just, I don't know about you guys out there. I don't know how it feels out there to you. I just don't feel like Shear is, Andrew Shear, the leader of the conservatives, is, is getting enough traction. I, he, he's out there. He's saying some nice things. 
But I don't think anybody has any sense of who he is or, or, or what kind of a prime minister he would be. What, what, what sense do you get out there? Well, the story of the MP crossing from the Liberals to the Conservatives was fairly massive out here. Andrew Scheer got a big boost headline-wise because yeah. it made a bunch of people on the West Coast and in British Columbia uh, proper, I guess, uh, sort of make note and say, wow, if somebody's making that big of a move at this point, you know, just over a year out from uh, an election, this is something that maybe we should have a look at. And certainly... Uh, Canadians owning a pipeline likely wasn't the plan for many out here. However, if you get outside of Metro Vancouver, if you get outside of the, the big city, if you will, there are a lot of people in this province who want and need the twinning of that pipeline. However, I'm not 100% sure they want to own it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't mind owning a car or having a car, but yeah, a pipeline on my garage isn't exactly what I, I no. was thinking of for Christmas. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a dilemma here in Alberta because the sense is that the conservatives are going to take back the provincial uh, government here uh, in, in next year. And so people are kind of holding back their fire a little bit. But you'd think that he would be getting a little a little bit more of a boost, uh, Shearwood, because of what's happening in Ontario, that the conservatives have taken over. But maybe, again, now all the stuff with Mr. Ford and the fact that he's gotten into it with the media in Ontario, maybe that's also reflecting on the conservatives as well. Well, politics in British Columbia, I can tell you, are, are quite a bit of a mess. I mean, we've got the NDP Green balance of power in the province, uh, certainly voting out Christy Clark's Liberal government. And when you look in a broader scale at the federal sort of temperature, if you will, definitely people in this part of the world appeared to have voted out the Conservatives rather than voting in Justin Trudeau specifically. So yeah. it's Interesting to see. I think Andrew Scheer doesn't really have a, a high Q rating, if you will, for those who know what that is. You know, he doesn't feel like he's strong on exactly what he's good at the attack against the liberals, but he's not very good at putting forward what his platform actually is. And many people here seem to have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the conservative agenda, if you will. Let's talk a little bit about Jagmeet Singh. He is running in, mm. back, in your backyard there uh, for, for a place, just a, a seat in, the, in the, the House of Commons. Uh, there, there seems to be a feeling that he is really not, again, not getting any traction. Uh, here in, in Alberta, where we shocked the world by putting in an NDP government, uh, I don't think that he is, he's not well done, served by the fact that the NDP are on their way out here. But even in Ontario and some places like Saskatchewan, which is always an NDP uh, heartland, he's, he seems to be staggering around. Uh, again, what's the scuttlebutt in the Vancouver area that he's running for a, he's running for a seat? What's the scuttlebutt? Do you think he's going to get it? Uh, probably. Um, I, that's just a guess, and I'm horrible at guesses. But it, that's, it seems like if, if it came down to getting people out to vote on such a thing, the people that would be motivated to have Jagmeet Singh uh, in Burnaby, they, they, they would come out to vote. And those who kind of shrug their shoulders about it wouldn't be in a real political battle to use their ballot to push back. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did get the seat. However, I don't really get from this NDP federal leader the type of, I don't even know how to put it, meat on the bone. He's he's very charismatic. He has done the ribbon cuttings and the meet and greets. And the, he's, he's got that sort of eloquence that we do see from the likes of Justin Trudeau. Uh, but there isn't really a strong reason to motivate and mobilize behind this man. And I think that's something that he's very uh, weak in. I, th I thought he might 
in some ways get a Barack Obama bounce. A lot of people in America, in, in particular a lot of white people in America, felt it was time for a, a man of color to be the president of the United States. I think a lot of people in Canada feel it is time for one of the party leaders uh, to be a visible minority. I think a lot of people wish him well in that, and I think a lot of people would vote for him strictly on that issue because we're a kind of a, a, a liberal, compassionate society most of the time. And yet that doesn't seem to have resonated at all, and it, it kind of— you know, it, it, it surprises me because I don't, I don't think we have the, re, the reactive conservatism they do in the United States. I don't want to call it racist. That's such a cliche these days. But, you know, that people would want the symbol more than they seem to want it. It's, it's kind of a disappointment for me. Yeah, I don't see it being um, a diversity piece when it comes to, uh, you know, electing a leader of a certain uh, background or ethnicity or religion or what have you. Uh, I think people, certainly here in British Columbia, we have a very diverse mix of uh, politicians at the municipal level, at the provincial level. I don't think it would be um, all that big of a deal, I guess, for uh, those, particularly in the Metro Vancouver area, which is a big right. voting piece, uh, for that diversity to be a big part of the story. That said, though, Jagmeet Singh, when he was uh, heckled in a way that was very... Trumpian, if I may, uh, he handled it with such eloquence and grace. And uh, he did look very cool under pressure, but that was many, many months ago. And I think that he could have built more on that. Mm -hmm. And instead, his uh, his opposition found maybe some uh, some cracks in his history where uh, exactly he might stand on some issues that would affect Canadians and maybe where their vote would land. Uh, just as a final thought, I, I don't expect these numbers to, you know, the 39, 32, 16 numbers to, to necessarily stay. I do expect the two lead parties to get a little bit closer. But And part of the reason I think that is I think some liberal people, people who are looking at liberals, are going to say, well, maybe I don't want to vote for the NDP, but this may be an opportunity for the Green to actually get into double figures in terms of polling in Canada if they can get enough disaffection from the NDP and from the liberals across the country. Uh, here in Alberta, of course, not a bit of the Greens. No, not, not a no. big deal. Uh, but but back east in Ontario and Quebec, there might be some room for growth there. Well, it's pretty interesting watching the NDP and Green uh, alliance, if you will, out here. Uh, many thought that it wouldn't last this long. And uh, it, I don't know if you um, follow uh, Weaver on Twitter, but the professor is very outspoken. Oh, and yeah. he has no problem saying what he thinks on any issue and will push back on things. It's... And it's fascinating in the world of politics. And Bruce, you and I on Twitter are, are back and forth. We've got our, our thoughts on the way things are unfolding, both here and abroad. And uh, it, it, it's refreshing, I think, to see a green leader who really comes across as no BS. Like he just wants to put out there his learned opinion, whether you agree with it or not. He is going to put it forward, even if it doesn't align with the NDP. It's, it's a fascinating time in politics here. And the Greens are are certainly building beyond what people may be expecting, had expected them to do. Yeah. The, the professor believes what he believes. There's no doubt about yeah. that. He's, yeah. It's fascinating to read. It, it's a good follow. Yeah. Well, we're going to revisit this, uh, where things are at. As I say, I don't see them staying the way they are for, for forever. We'll revisit them in a, in a future episode here, uh, here on The First Serve. You're listening to Jody and BD. It's a new podcast featuring popular Vancouver broadcaster. Can I say that about myself? That's Jody Vance. That's, That's me. And fantastic author, broadcaster Bruce Dobigan. 
whose spurs are in Calgary, of course. And what's the name of the new book? we got to get a plug in here. Uh, the, the name of the new book, Cap in Hand, How Salary Caps Are Killing Pro Sports and Why the Free Market Can Save Them. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do a podcast on that one of these times, too, because there's lots of I'm waiting there. for mine. And, and, and I think uh, you, you haven't got the book yet. It's en route. Okay. But maybe there's going to be a postal strike, so I can't guarantee it. <laughs> so you want to talk about Gian Gomeshi. I do. Are we going to go into the kiss and cry here? Do I get to go first? You go first. Okay. So, uh, oh, oh, no. Sorry, not the kiss and cry. This is, this is Return, Return of, of Sir. Sir. Return of Sir. Okay. So, Gian Gomeshi, he needs to stop. That's my opinion here. For, for so many women even clicking on the New York Review of Books piece that uh, was panned by the disgraced Canadian broadcaster uh, came with great hesitation. I hovered over clicking on that, but I had to, being a journalist. I need to see his words, not a summary of the article in any way, shape, or form. I got to find my opinion on the actual message he was giving. And let me tell you, this article left me gobsmacked. Uh, he's the victim, apparently. So far from today's true climate of the Me Too uh, movement, he had the gall to share the quote-unquote jokes his friends made about him being a Me Too pioneer. This is gross. He showed himself to be the martyr. He's lost everything. He's considered suicide. He feels deep remorse for the way he treated women in his life. And there are lots of guys more hated than, than me now, but I was the guy everyone hated first. What? What is that? This article was lacking in accountability, not to mention that it didn't even reference the 24 women who stepped forward with accusations, uh, their specific allegations, choking, punching, big ears, Teddy in common. Ugh. These, there were supposed to be dates, dates, you know, chivalry and shared meals and perhaps more if it felt right and there was consent. Instead, these women shared how they were left in shock and ashamed and scared to call out this powerful celebrity. He, he was the first to fall via the strength of social media and certainly not the first powerful man accused. We know Cosby, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, wow. He, should he find redemption? Some ask about this. Should he, be, should he not be allowed? Well, I don't necessarily know the answers to that, but certainly not without serious help for his behaviors. And, and I think he still could put people at risk. This is like a surgeon who abused a patient. Right. Should they be allowed to be continued to be a doctor? I don't think Gian Gomeshi belongs in the media period. Well, it's, it's, it's the OJ dilemma. And, and obviously he didn't kill anyone the way OJ probably did. But we had that situation where OJ was acquitted. He was a free man. He was free to do whatever he wanted to. Uh, the courts had basically judged him that way. And we have the same thing with Gian. Now, first of all, I have to say that uh, I've known Gian a long time. We were friends for a period of time when we worked together at CBC. I used to be on his show all the time. Uh, I wouldn't say we were good social friends, but we were friends. Uh, and so I, you know, anything I say henceforth, just take that into consideration that I know. That I like that. Full, full disclosure. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it is full disclosure and, and, and had a lot of sympathy for what he was doing and, and was really proud of his career. All those sorts of things. It's it, it, it that, that part of the disappointment was obviously there as well as the other stuff. But we do have this dilemma about what happens in our system. When a person goes through the, the judicial process and comes out the other end and has been acquitted, has been declared innocent, 
What do we do with these people? Do we continue to keep them in, in the stocks? Do we continue to throw vegetables at them? Do we ignore them? Is there a way to get back and integrate yourself back into society? Remember Michael Vick, the football player? He was accused oh, yeah. of killing dogs in dog fighting, and somehow he was able to rehabilitate his, his, his career. I, I guess what is it that Gian Gomeshi has to do to rehabilitate his image so that he can re-enter society? If I were his uh, advisor... I would say find some accountability for what you did apologize for because one of those accusers took the uh, the, the non-cash settlement with the, the ask was, I want an apology. He gave the apology. She didn't sign any non-disclosure agreement because there was no cash uh, exchanged. And she stepped forward, used her name, said out loud what happened to her. And it did mirror many of the accusations. And Things that he did mention in that uh, Facebook post initially that came out before all the stories, like he tried to get ahead of the story, and I read that in real time, and I was it, like shaken to the core. This is one of the things that, that really bugs me about this specific scenario, is this isn't just somebody who maybe had a bad relationship with someone, and there was you know bad vibes between the two, and the he said, she said. There are people who have openly come out, not with criminal accusations, but openly come out and said that they were communicating with him on social media, targeted at PR events that were associated with where he worked. He used his power and that celebrity to lure them into situations where they were extremely vulnerable. And then he punched them in the face. Like there's that. Uh, this is so well, much bigger uh, was, than, than... Uh, Mr. Trudeau's father said that the, the nation has no place in the bedrooms of the society. If he thought he had consent to do, uh, quote unquote, rough sex, uh, are we not supposed to let him do that? I mean, he's, he's, that's what he seems to be suggesting, right? He is suggesting that he had consent where uh, tens of women have publicly stated that they never gave such consent. I was very disappointed by the fact that some women felt they needed to continue to communicate with the abuser to somehow manage the scenario. And sadly, I can see how that would happen. Uh, I think moving forward, and that's really where I wanted to take this conversation, is where does this, con where does Me Too move forward in this? Because we can keep hearkening back to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in some instances, 30 plus years ago, where situations have been uh, mishandled, uh, sexual assault, abuse, or harassment of some sort, and the learning can move forward in a way where generations to come won't be dealing with this sort of thing. This is, as the mother of a young boy, I want to teach my son what consent actually means. Consent isn't, we slept together yesterday so we can sleep together today. That's not what it means. You can say no midway through a kiss and it should end. And these are things that I can tell you from personal experience, it thankfully has never happened to me. However, out of my group of friends that I grew up with in high school and beyond, most of them have a ridiculously bad, if not full-on sexual assault story to share. Right. And I hope that one day that is not the reality. N never mind in the court of public opinion or, or reporting it to police or what have you. There's just been the shift in behavior. I mean, there was a time that women couldn't wear pants on television, where Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke couldn't you know, appear to be sleeping in the same bed. There were ways of 
putting they things were out couple, there. I know, and they weren't supposed to yeah. be sleeping together. Yeah, I know. But we're growing and changing. We've evolved in incredible ways. And I well, think it, instead it, of this being a pushback, it should be an opportunity for that growth. Go. Here's the thing is that, you know, from my, my uh, quote unquote, vast experience, anytime I ever went to even kiss a girl, it was always a lottery. It was always a, you don't know what the result is going to be. Uh, you And the only way to find out if she's going to kiss you back is to kiss her. And nowadays, there's a lot of situations where that can be seen as assault. Oh, well, you didn't ask my permission before kissing me and all that sort of stuff. Uh, what, what worries me is that you're going to get a lot of young men like your son's age and like my grandson's age or those people. And these, these young men are just going to say, you know what? It's not worth the bother. I'm just going to stay away from getting involved with women and getting involved in that, in that sense uh, because it's just all of a sudden too problematic. There's too many things that can go wrong. All of them can go wrong for me because I can be seen as the aggressor. Uh, do I have to wait for a woman to be the one to initiate things? And then does the same standard apply to her? Does she have to do the whole consent thing? I just worry that we're bureaucratizing this whole process to a certain extent and that it's that it's going to cause a lot of people to just say you know what I, I don't want this this is too complicated I agree with where you're coming from there but I think we need to dial it back to what the the true point here is especially with Gomeshi is that it happened in the workplace we're not talking about kissing under the bleachers at the high school we're talking about powerful typically men, because there have been women in this scenario as well that have acted inappropriately and used their powers inappropriately. Um, uh, age, Asia, our 10, our, and I can't remember her last name yeah. now, uh, I wish I could, Asia, who was in a relationship with Anthony Bourdain and apparently, you know, slept with a, a kid, a guy that was 17 years old, who she knew how old he was because she yeah. directed him when he was seven years old. So this isn't men versus women. This is power position versus a person that you can manipulate or use your power in order to have an inappropriate relationship with them. And I think that it has happened more in the past than it has in recent months because of the Me Too time's up. And I think that moving forward, yeah, I think there will be fewer asses slapped in the office. And I think that's a good thing. Well, if, if I could just finish on one point, and you're talking about women in power, there are a lot of women in power. In fact, there are a lot of women in power at the CBC. And if there's one man who was hurt by this entire process, certainly wasn't Jean Gomeshi. I mean, he brought it on himself. But one of my best friends was the person who was entrusted by the CBC to investigate what had happened. And most of the people, the executives he was reporting to, in fact, almost all of them were women uh, at the top of the CBC, the people who had created the monster of Gian Gomeshi. And by that, I mean, you know, sort of the star power, yeah. how big he was. I'm not trying to say that they created him into all the other stuff, but they made no, him no. into a big star. He, they were so invested in him. He was the future, et cetera. And my friend was invested in, in going in there and trying to find out what, what happened. And when the, the facts seemed to point to the fact that they had been the ones to let this get out of hand and that they were the ones who weren't listening, they ended up firing my friend and blaming him for the, for the investigation. And he is still has not received justice from the CBC. So that's that's it, brutal. It, that it is, is that is brutal fallout from a story. It should not have it. Should, you should not be punishing the person that brings forward the facts and the truth because you don't like the truth. And that was, and, and the, again, the people who fired him, almost all women at the top of CBC. So it can go both ways. Yeah, and totally. I just, I just wanted to add that as our final little bit here on uh, Return of Surf. Time to go to the tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. Watching the Emmys this week. I know you were watching the Emmys. Of like course I was. 
I, I noticed I didn't watch that much of them because there's just too much political humor these days. But I did notice that more and more the prestige awards for shows seem to be going to Netflix, HBO and the other specialty channels. Have the regular TV channels, the old established ones that you and I grew up with, have they become irrelevant? They're getting there, Bruce. Like if you cut the, cable, the cord, are you still on the cable or on the satellite or, or have you cut the cable? I still have cable okay. and I am tenuously perched on the edge of cutting that cord. I have to admit, and, and I, my excuse is, you know, I like to watch CBC News Network. I like to get my Sportsnet and my TSN. I like that, you know, and I haven't, I'm old, so I can't really figure out how that works on, uh, you know, putting the computer on my TV and paying the subscription for that. I haven't done the math. It seems like it's sort of flat right now. Um, in terms of the actual content of when we go to the TV for that incredible escape, the journey, the story, you know, with the 10 year old, we're watching anime, we're watching fairy tale from uh, overseas with sub subtitles. Uh, yes. That's certainly not available on CTV. Um, most of what we tune into can be found on the likes of Netflix or other specialty channels. I, I really struggle with the commercial content and I'm just going to say it. I know it's our bread and butter, but those commercials get in the way, man. No, but who watched them? I, I call some friends sometimes. I say, oh, have you seen the latest uh, ad for Geico? And they said, no, don't watch co commercials anymore. I tape no. everything or I see it on, on, on some specialty channel. No commercials. I'm going like, wow, this is, you know, some of the best things on, on conventional TV are the commercials at the moment. But that's that's how deeply it's it's been embedded. And uh, if I could find a way to somehow get my my sports content without being on network tv i would i would probably do it because i have virtually i can't believe i'm saying this you're talking to a guy with cbc and on the main networks all those years but i i just never find a reason to dip my toe in anymore once peter mansbridge left the national that was kind yeah. of my last uh, goodbye to the cbc and i just i just don't get there anymore and i do watch netflix i do watch hbo showtime all of these shows uh, like everybody else, I'm on the phone. Oh, have you watched this series? Oh, there's a good one from Sweden, whatever. And and I'm just wondering who it is that's left watching conventional TV anymore after seeing that, what's gone on the last few years. Well, uh, we are certainly on the same page on this one because if not for live sports, I would cut the cord. I, I was watching week one of the uh, NFL and I was on Fox and I saw their new sort of, here's how we're going to get you to not change channels during a commercial they did like double boxes and yeah. they they kept the uh they kept the uh bg sound on field and just you know going on isos of guys and and shrunk that screen and then brought in like a 10 second ad for a car and then pushed back and and went full screen and then picked up the broadcast again i'm like oh see now you're getting it because I can take those little bits, but I watched the Emmys by recording it for an hour before I turned it on. Uh, and then I was so glad I watched it because Henry Winkler, man, the Fonz finally got a trophy. And when he <laughs> said, somebody once told me if you stay at the table long enough, the chips come to you. Boy, tonight, I'm cleaning up. And I just thought, man, that's good TV. Every now and then you've got to have that live moment yeah. to remind you about what excites us. Yeah.
Yeah, well, for, and, and my, my computer on my TV now sometimes won't let me scan backwards or forwards when I'm going through a show. So clearly they're not allowing me to go back and look at commercials or, or, or ignore commercials and stuff. So it, it, it seems like the death knell is underway and that oh. all the quality program is going to go somewhere there. Everyone sort of would like to have their local news, local weather and sports, and maybe some local programming. But by and large, the days when we needed to have all that stuff and have it protected by the government, for instance, I think right. that, that's past. Say we want to watch the best, and that's yes, and that's absolutely true here on the tiebreaker. All right, let's head into the kiss and cry for our big finish. You're gonna love this one, Grandpa. Kiss and cry. Ernie uh -huh. and Bert trending after Sesame Street writer Mark Saltzman claims that he at least wrote for Ernie and Bert as a gay couple. Of course, Sesame Street Workshop, the production team and nonprofit organization behind the show, immediately released a statement. I think in one hour and 17 minutes was how long Ernie and Bert were gay. Yeah. yeah, basically saying that Ernie and Bert have many human traits but remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation, which kind of leads me to say, who cares? They've been gay icons in pop culture for years. On Sesame Street, they have, they have covered, they've got a puppet who's got autism. They're a puppet. They've got an HIV positive puppet, also a puppet. Um, you know, people wonder about Mr. Snuffleupagus and Big Bird. I, who cares when we're teaching kids about the realities of society today? Does it really matter? Why do we need to define people as gay or not gay? Uh, I'm kind of disappointed with the fact that the, the Sesame Street or Sesame Workshop felt the need to step forward and, and quash this. If the writer wrote for them as gay, let that be. Let Ernie and Bert be what they are. Yeah, well, I mean, what, what I understood from their response, and, and it's my response too, is do we have to politicize everything? Does everything in this day and age have to be politicized and identified, etc.? You know, for, for most kids under the age of 10, sexual orientation means nothing. They don't, it, it's not an issue for them yet. It's not something that's on their radar. So why do we have to, as adults, go back and reach in there and, and, and basically, oh, by the way, here's another thing to think about. Can't they just enjoy it for what it seems to be? I mean, what's next, you know, the, the, is the, the Swedish chef going to be a tranny? I mean, you know, <laughs> stay, stay out of the way with that stuff. Let the kids be kids. There's one of my favorite expressions now is that you're not allowed to die until everyone in the world has disappointed you. And to a certain extent, this getting in the way and, and, and putting these labels and stuff on, on the characters, that's, it's okay to have gay characters. It's okay to have, uh, uh, you know, any kind of a character. But this idea of retroactively having to go back and identify them and stuff, really, it's just busy work for me. I got to tell you, Bruce, tranny is a derogatory word in this reality oh, in, in 2018. Oh. Yes, transgender individual so is old. the proper I'm way. So of, you are sold, but I, I know that now you're corrected. You didn't mean that in any way of disrespect, but that's one of the things moving this forward. And here in British Columbia, uh, we have a big issue in schools. There is a massive battle going on all about a teaching platform called SOGI123. This is about adding to the curriculum in British Columbia about teaching kids how the person sitting next to them might know that they're gay, not know how to talk about it, and aren't even sexual at this point, but they have feelings like in grade six, you might be a little girl with a crush on the little girl that sits next to you or the little boy that has a crush on the little boy that's in the other class mm -hmm. and you don't know how to deal with it and being able to communicate maybe with your best friend and your best friend can go, oh, maybe we should talk to the teacher about this or you should talk to a grown-up about that because I've heard about that. It means this and that and right. that's totally normal, by the way, and and opening up those conversations and, and that's 
huge here right now because there is a backlash of hate from the religious right that I have I didn't realize existed in in my community. I mean, I I maybe it's naive of me, but some of the public platforms, the yelling and the hate being spewed is and as a parent of I, I sit in the meetings at the PAC meetings to say, okay, here's the sexual education that's coming in for your 10-year-old. And one of the most important pieces of what I learned as the daughter of a teacher is that you need to talk to kids about what's happening in the world. If they're too young to absorb it, it goes over their head. It's not going to scare them. It's not going to turn them gay. It's not going to make them transgender. It's not going to impact their religious leanings. You know, I, I don't believe that these things should be just taught at home because a lot of parents don't talk to their kids about well, this stuff. But I think, I think one of the questions is at what age do you enter uh, this stuff into the public realm, into the realm of kids? Right. And, and this was the, what the, the, the type of education you're talking talking about was a major factor in the conservatives campaign in Ontario. Yes. Uh, the previous uh, government, the, the Win Liberals, had, a, had a, a plan that had been basically brought forward, an education plan. Uh, unfortunately, the author of it uh, turned out to be a convicted pedophile uh, and has gone to prison as a result of that. And that didn't particularly help their arguments when they were arguing about keeping it around. But the, the big question, the religious people Certainly fundamental religious groups like Muslims and people like that. And, you know, I mean, we've got them everywhere. They, they just don't see any ro role for, for sex education in schools. But I think for most people, it's the question of what's the proper age to bring it in at. And a lot of people, I think, get their back up about talking about sexual matters with six-year-olds or seven-year-olds, that that's right. too early. And I think that's where the debate is at. There is a common ground here about, okay, teaching it and teaching it better than it's been taught. But there is this sense that teaching these very complicated notions about sexual behavior, when you should become sexual, etc., at the age of six or seven, is maybe just a little bit too early. I think that it depends on the child, so we can agree to disagree on exactly the age that it should or shouldn't be allowed. I can tell you that in our circle of, you know, one echo from our family, not within our family, but I would consider both of the people that I would mention, uh, one echo from our family, there are two transgender individuals, one is 10 and one first started talking about being a boy and in a, in a girl's body at the age of seven. Mm. So, I mean, they, it helps these kids. They, my cousin who, uh, I've always known Corey to be gay. There was no doubt in our minds from birth that this young lad was gay. He's now a 55 year old man. And he always knew, and we always knew. So there's something to be said for, you know, waiting too late might lead to a tragic event where that child feels that they are flawed in some way and, and can't go on. Right. Uh, on this one, you get the last word, Jody, on the kiss Ooh. and cry section. Thank you. And that's it for this installment of Jody and BD. How'd you do? You're okay. You're all right. You're not I'm good. I feel good. I feel like I've had therapy. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for everyone else listening in. Tell your friends where they can find us. We'll be posting uh, these podcasts on iTunes. I'll be posting them on notthepublicbroadcaster.com on my Facebook site. Jody, where do you post your stuff? I'm going to post on my Facebook site and I'm going to kick back into action on mybackyard.press. Mybackyard.press. Okay, we'll all be listening for that and looking for that. And once again, mine is notthepublicbroadcaster.com. .com. <laughs> I should know this by now, but .com and on my Facebook site. Until next time, we'll see you for Jody and Beatty. Talk to you next time.